Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, what kind of policies does Mississippi have in place for working parents? Then, part two in our investigative feature on opioid abuse in the state. Later, a health minute from Dr. Rick DeShazo on allergies and colds. Then, a dollar doesn't buy what it used to. We'll take a look at what a buck gets you in Mississippi. In Mississippi, $100 will get you as much goods and services as $115 would in an ordinary state. Mississippi is about 15% richer than its income would suggest. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A new report by the National Partnership for Women and Families gives Mississippi an F grade when it comes to policies supporting new and expected expecting working parents. The state was one of 12 to get a failing grade. The survey looked at items like availability of paid family leave and sick days. Partnership Vice President Vicki Shabo tells MPB's Evelina Burnett paid leave helps families and is an economic issue. Our report, Expecting Better, a state-by-state analysis of laws that help expecting and new parents, uh, does a comprehensive analysis of state laws and regulations governing paid leave and other workplace rights for new and expecting parents in the U.S. Um, This is actually the fourth time that we've done this report. The first was back in 2005 when really nobody was talking much about these issues and they were sort of fringe and untested. Uh, We did it again in 2012 where we had seen uh, some significant progress Um, We did it again in 2014, and then we just did this most recent one uh, for 2016 um, on the same week as the FMLA, the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act, turns 23, to to point out the bright spots uh, for progress, but also show how much work is left to be done in states and nationwide for our families to truly have the best start. Well, what are some of the bright spots? Let's start there, and then we can talk specifically about what you see in Mississippi. So in our report, three states got grades of A or A minus. California is the only state to get an A, and that's with a pretty substantial caveat um, about how it could improve its panoply of laws. Um, District of Columbia and New York got grades of A minus. Eleven states got grades of B and 10 got grades of C. But overall, 27 states got grades of F or D. uh, And Mississippi was one of the 12 states that got an F or a failing grade. How did you calculate grades? What What were they based on? So we assigned point values to different kinds of state laws that expand upon federal Family and Medical Leave Act rights, uh, rights of pregnant workers in the workplace, and nursing mothers in the workplace. Uh, we, we assigned points for things like paid family leave insurance, which is in place in four states, California, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and uh, most recently New York, which adopted a law that will go into effect in 2018. We assigned points for paid sick days laws, which are in place in five states plus D.C., 
we assigned points for state laws that expand upon the unpaid but job-protected leave um, offered by the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act, so applying FMLA to domestic partners, um, creating a longer leave entitlement than 12 weeks, um, applying to people who have been on the job for less time or worked fewer hours in the year. Uh, we assigned points for pregnancy accommodations laws um, that guarantee workers the right to request a reasonable accommodation to deal with things like needing to sit rather than stand or take a bathroom break. Uh, and we assigned points for protections for nursing mothers in the workplace that go beyond the federal standard um, provided by the health insurance law in 2010. Uh, and so we, we looked, we had different point values um, and ultimately graded states based on the range of protections that they had. But sadly, as I said, 12 states received an F grade, 27 states overall received something between a D plus and an F, uh, and unfortunately, Mississippi families um, are living in a state that has done nothing, uh, nothing on its own to protect uh, working families or provide that extra support that new and expecting parents need, or frankly, that family caregivers of any kind need. So what is the situation in Mississippi right now? Just what the federal government requires? So just what the federal government requires. So that means that uh, a new mother may have access to unpaid leave um, to recover from childbirth if she is protected by the federal FMLA, but that only applies nationwide to about 60% of the workforce. Um, it means that a new dad doesn't have any time beyond what federal law provides um, to take unpaid leave to bond with a new child. So uh, Mississippi families really need better. So what would be your recommendation for what Mississippi should do? First and foremost, um, Mississippi could consider laws at the state level um, to provide some of the protections we've been talking about. But ultimately, Mississippians could also band together um, to pressure federal lawmakers to take action that would create, for example, a national paid family and medical leave insurance program uh, that would cover every American worker, no matter where they live or who they work for or what job they have. Uh, they could pressure federal lawmakers to pass a paid sick days law, which is in place in five states in the District of Columbia, but everybody gets sick, and unfortunately, just 64% of the workforce nationwide has access to paid sick days, and for lower-wage workers, it's, the access is much lower. Um, so these are really protections that certainly help working families and their personal financial security um, and the ability they have to provide for themselves and their families to give their kids the right start. But it's also an economic issue. When workers have access to paid family leave and paid sick days, um, they're more economically secure. They're able to spend more money in their economy. Um, they're less likely, moms and dads who have paid family leave in connection with the birth of a child are less likely to use public assistance and food stamps. Um, so there's always a cost of inaction. Um, and we see that reflected in the use of other social safety net programs. MPB's Evelina Burnett with Vicki Shabo of the National Partnership for Women and Families. The group just released a report on Mississippi's policies supporting new and expecting working parents. Up next, part two in our investigative feature on opioid abuse in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A Syrian refugee cooks at the church that's helping her establish a life in this country. When they eat Syrian food, they like it. They come back again to eat it. The pastor, who leads an interfaith coalition, plans to welcome more refugees. We have more congregations who are active in our coalition than we will have families arriving. I'm Ari Shapiro, a safe harbor for refugees in New Jersey, later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Put your hand on 
Decker Mountain Radio Hour is on the road to Tupelo, Mississippi, Saturday, August 13th at 7.30 p.m. at the Link Concert Center. We'll have author Richard Grant, bluesman Sam Mosley, and rock and roll from the Kit Thorne Band. This show is free and open to the public. The Thacker Mountain Radio Hour in Tupelo at the Link Center, Saturday, August 13th at 7.30 p.m. More information at ThackerMountain.com. Here comes MD. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Drug addiction experts are working to treat the growing number of Mississippians addicted to opioid prescription drugs. In the second of a three-part series, Opioids in Mississippi, the Silent Epidemic, MPB's Desiree Frazier reports recognizing addiction as a disease is the beginning of understanding recovery. I knew that this was not going to end well, but... But I did it anyways. A former Mississippi narcotics officer, will call Steve, to protect his identity, stopped using opioid pain pills and heroin for 11 years by going cold turkey and attending 12-step recovery meetings. But he says concerns about a conflict of interest led him to stop going to meetings. Then one day an informant offered him Dilaudid, an opioid pain pill, and his drug of choice. You know, uh, the disease of addiction is about obsession and compulsion. It's the obsession over thinking about drugs 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and the compulsion to continue using them even though they're killing you. And right before I got high, that compulsion already started kicking in. And and as soon as I used it, I reached into my pocket and I pulled out $40, gave it to this person, said, go get me some more. Steve ended up quitting his job and seeking treatment. Troyce Friedler is a recovering cocaine and heroin addict. He has been clean for 20 years and goes to 12-step meetings. A small part of it really has to do with chemicals. If you take the chemicals away from an addict, they still have the addiction issues. Friedler is also the executive director of Harbor House, a substance abuse treatment facility in Byram, just outside of Jackson. He stresses drug addiction is a disease and can stem from trauma, such as child abuse, which he experienced. Others have a genetic predisposition to addiction. In Steve's case, his father used heroin. Friedler says nearly 25% of his clients at Harbor House are addicted to opioids. People can take them as prescribed by their doctor and develop a tolerance to the drug and need more and more. These drugs are physically addicting. If you take it long enough, then it becomes where you get sick if you don't have it. Vomiting, depression, and insomnia are some of the signs of addiction. At Harbor House, treatment includes individualized plans using the 12-step model and therapy. Patients learn about the symptoms of addiction and what triggers them to use. Friedler says the recovery rate at Harbor House mirrors the national average, about 33 percent. Mark Stovall heads treatment facilities for the State Department of Mental Health. It's not unusual to see somebody relapse five and more times. Stovall says opioid use in Mississippi, including heroin, is up 5.1 percent, and he expects it to triple by next year. The Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics reports 108 people died of overdoses in 2015. Stovall says the younger people are when they start, the harder it can be to stay clean. 
He's seeing more 14 to 25-year-olds using opioids. It's emergency time. Set up the red flags and turn on the alarms. Uh, the state needs to react. We're, uh, at this moment, trying to do as much education as we can. Opioid addiction crosses all racial and income lines. Stovall says the greatest increase is among whites and families that earn $50,000 or more annually. The Mississippi Department of Mental Health oversees most residential and outpatient facilities in the state and allocates federal funds to 14 centers. The demand exceeds the services available. The VA Medical Center in Jackson has a 15-bed residential treatment program, not enough for the estimated 3,900 veterans dealing with addiction. Dr. Andrew Valus operates the treatment center. He says last year they treated 200 veterans and have expanded other options. We treat their addiction in terms of lots of group activities that we have for them and also uh, individual counseling as well. Families of veterans who are at risk for overdose receive a Narcon kit, which is like an EpiPen. One push of a button reverses an overdose. Doctors are not immune from opioid addiction. Dr. Scott Hamilton with the Mississippi Physicians Health Program says he was addicted to hydrocodone he took for back pain. He says 115 doctors are currently being treated for drug and alcohol addiction in the five-year program. 90% of the physicians do 180-degree turnarounds. Initially, they resist the process. One of the hallmarks of addiction is denial. Hamilton says treatment programs designed for medical professionals experience greater success because treatment can last up to 90 days instead of 30. He says if doctors refuse treatment, their license is suspended. Physicians can't practice medicine while in treatment, and it's expensive, as much as $50,000, which includes group therapy and random drug testing. Doctors can return to work after treatment, but Hamilton says they're closely monitored. When somebody comes in, you know, with a clogged coronary arteries, we don't say to them, well, you deserve to, you know, die because you did this to yourself. But in some cases, people with addiction are viewed that way by the medical community and by society. Hamilton says more education and awareness about addiction by doctors and the public could help fight that stigma. Desiree Frazier. MPB News. Call the Mississippi Department of Mental Health for more information about opioid addiction at 877-210-8513. Tomorrow, in Part 3 of Opioids in Mississippi, The Silent Epidemic, we'll take you to drug court where people are rebuilding their lives. Up next, a health minute on allergies and colds. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio is your voice for Mississippi. If you or your community has an event coming up and you'd like help spreading the word, send us an email. You've got mail. To PSA at mpbonline.org. MPB is getting its very own car tag. But first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road. Hi, I'm Ashley Jeffcoat. Every Wednesday morning at 10, the calls roll in. Going first to Joe in Oxford. Larry's on 555. Bob is in Columbus. No matter where you are in the world, this is the place for you to get informed and excited about the everyday technologies in your life. Listen to us. Email us. Call us. Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio. 
I will do that. Thank you so much. And back to the show. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Hello, this is Dr. Alyssa Weatherly here with Dr. Rick, and today our topic is going to be colds and allergies. So, Dr. Rick, i got a question for you. How do you tell if it's a cold or is it just allergies? Yeah, everybody is having these summer colds now, and it's a lot of confusion about that. Most people who have summer colds that are allergic reactions have sneezing, itchy eyes, and runny nose. And the itching is the key because that means histamine is released, which is allergic problems. But sometimes it's very difficult to tell the difference. Got it. So if I have a cold, what do I do for a cold? Well, if you think it's a cold, the best thing to do is to get lots of rest and drink lots of fluids. If you have a lot of nasal obstruction, lavage with salt water is wonderful. There's an over-the-counter kit at all the drugstores called a nasal lavage kit, uh, Neil Med. It comes with salt, and you just wash your nose out using the instructions two or three times a day, and it really gets rid of the symptoms. So last question, if I have a cold, do I need an antibiotic? Absolutely not. Because that's one of the reasons we're having all these problems with superbugs. We're trying not to give antibiotics for just regular colds. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. Put your hand on that radio. Thacker Mountain Radio Hour is on the road to Tupelo, Mississippi, Saturday, August 13th at 7.30 p.m. at the Link Concert Center. We'll have author Richard Grant, bluesman Sam Mosley, and rock and roll from the Kit Thorne Band. This show is free and open to the public. The Thacker Mountain Radio Hour in Tupelo at the Link Center, Saturday, August 13th at 7.30 p.m. More information at ThackerMountain.com. Here comes Jim D. The new MPB Public Media app is available now. Watch MPB TV, listen to MPB Think and Music Radio, and stay in the know with MPB News. Search for the MPB Public Media app in the App Store and Google Play stores today. A Syrian refugee cooks at the church that's helping her establish a life in this country. When they eat Syrian food, they like it. They come back again to eat it. The pastor who leads an interfaith coalition plans to welcome more refugees. We have more congregations who are active in our coalition than we will have families arriving. I'm Ari Shapiro, a safe harbor for refugees in New Jersey, later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. We all know a dollar isn't worth what it used to be. In fact, in Mississippi, it's worth a dollar and 15 cents, the most in the nation. That's according to a new report by the Tax Foundation, which studies tax policy across the country. We spoke with Alan Cole of the Tax Foundation. He tells us there is a relationship between how much a dollar can buy and income level. The way we chose to present this data is if you have $100 in your pocket and you're in each of these states, how much will that buy you? And Mississippi tops the list. Right. Mississippi is the highest on the list in Mississippi. $100 will get you as much 
goods and services as $115 would in an ordinary state. So, so Mississippi is about 15% richer than its income would suggest. The grocery list was the same in every state. So you're saying that the groceries that you buy in Mississippi, you're getting more for your buck. Is that right? Right. It's a broad um, list called the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, and that includes everything that a person would buy. So, um, you know, some food um, from a grocery store, some food from a restaurant, a rental house, an owner-occupied house, clothing, all of that stuff. Now, Mississippi is also, by many accounts, the poorest state in the nation. Is that a direct correlation with this analysis? Yeah, there is a correlation between price levels and incomes for a state. Um, The states with lower price levels usually have lower incomes, too, and and the states with higher incomes usually have higher price levels. One of the reasons for that is some of the stuff that you buy, for example, services, um, things like waiters in restaurants um, helping to um, bring you your food. With wages lower in Mississippi, it costs less to get that kind of service. You know, whenever gas prices go down or up, we always hear that the lowest price gasoline is in Jackson, Mississippi. And I don't know whether that's directly related as well to things that cost less in the state. Where is the highest or or, or where is the dollar valued at the lowest amount in the country? The states where your dollar goes the least far. Yes. um, Hawaii is the, the state for which that's true. And people think that's kind of interesting. It's not what you'd expect. You might think New York or San Francisco is probably the worst. But Hawaii is kind of unique in that land is very scarce there. Um, If you've ever been, it's just mountain and then water. And people have to build on the narrow strips of land between the mountains and the water. And furthermore, Hawaii doesn't produce very much of the stuff that a typical person uses, and it doesn't produce much of the stuff on the personal consumption expenditures list. Instead, it has to import it from places across the Pacific Ocean. So both goods and land and you know housing or rent, those are much more expensive in Hawaii than elsewhere. And then the other place topping the list, if you count it as a state, The District of Columbia is very expensive, and that's because it's a small area of land where lots of people want to work and live. Are there any states where the cost of living is low, but salaries are high? The best example of that is probably going to be something like North Dakota or maybe Wyoming. Those economies tend to have some actually pretty skilled and educated people. There are a lot of very smart people working in resource extraction, geologists, or very skilled tradesmen, and their salaries are quite high. But those territories obviously have lots of wide open flat land, and it's very easy to ship stuff there with trucks and and that kind of thing. And so they kind of get the best of both worlds. Of course, being able to live in Wyoming or North Dakota and participate in their economy requires you to have a very special set of skills and you know, most people probably can't take advantage of that. Is this a chicken and the egg kind of analogy, meaning people are making less money, therefore prices have to go down in order to accommodate smaller wages? Yeah, there's definitely causation that runs in both directions. People in Mississippi are willing to stay there even though there's lower wages because the price levels are low. The price levels are low in part because you can't charge higher prices in Mississippi and expect people to buy them because Mississippi people are used to bargains. And Um, they can't afford to buy them if the prices go up. If 
Mississippi had some solid economic growth, um, better than the other states, and became a richer state. It would still have a cheaper than average price level in a lot of ways, and that that could persist because Mississippi has some advantages. It has a lot of land for relatively few people, and it has very close access to the Gulf of Mexico, which is where a lot of U.S. shipping gets done. And it's very close to a lot of oil refineries. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the price of gas is often cheapest in Jackson. When you put those things together, a lot of the factors that go into a typical production process, all of those are cheap in Mississippi. The real value of $100 in each state, written by economist Alan Cole. Thank you so much for being with us. Very interesting. Thank you for having me. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show, there are several ways you can listen. On our website, mpbonline.org, through the MPB Multimedia app, or search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app, and you can subscribe to the show right there. It is very easy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. It's Marketplace Tech for Wednesday the 10th. I'm Ben Johnson in New York. As the way in which we pay for things...